Amen. And I am glad to be here this afternoon. I want to thank you all for your prayers. And I uh, know that last Sunday you had a wonderful time in the Lord. And we thank God for all of his blessings. Amen. And today we're going to pick up where uh, I left off a couple of weeks ago in this series called Apostolic Revival. And if you remain standing for a few moments, I'm going to be reading out of the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. Acts chapter 2 verse 44. Now before I go there, I'm going to ask to put up another a slide, uh, the five gears. So just to catch you up to speed on where we've been this uh, last month um, in January and in February now on Apostolic Revival. Week number one preached about doctrine. Then we talked about fellowship and the importance of that and prayer. Amen. And these are five uh, gears, five ingredients, if you will, of the early apostolic church, first century church. And these were all important, essential elements to the growth, amen, and to the expansion of God's kingdom in the early church. So just to bring up this piece of, well, where, where are we at right now? I know this is an extended series. We've still got another week to go. But today we're going to be looking at gear number four. And the Bible says, we go back to the, the scripture now. Now all who believed, amen, were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They all sold their possessions and they gave of their resources as all had needs. Now I'm going to invite you to read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, I want to look at this passage of scripture here. Paul writes concerning some very special group of believers without which it's possible that the early church revival may not have experienced the success that it did. And it says this in verse 1, chapter 8, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even, notice this, beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. My thought today is this, giving, sow the seed. Someone say, sow the seed. Amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seeded. Seeds, seeds, no matter how big, how small, or how old, contain the potential of a harvest. And every seed, every grain contains the promise the potential of something great. Don't judge the seed by the size of the seed because within that seed, there is a harvest. And every seed, there is, there is a forest. There is fruit in that seed. A few years ago, I, I heard about this interesting story concerning a Judean palm tree that scientists had successfully planted and grown. Now, that doesn't seem very newsworthy except for the fact that it was grown uh, from the oldest seed ever germinated. This seed sprouted from a 
that was excavated from the deserts of southern Israel. Really a miracle if you think about it, that they were able to take this ancient seed, uh, water it, nurture it, and after all those thousands of years, it gave life again. They named it the Methuselah tree. How many of you know who Methuselah was? Amen. He was the oldest person in the Bible. Amen. I, 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 don't, I think that's a blessing uh, to say the least. Over 900 years old, Methuselah. And they named it after him. This tree was thought to be extinct. Well, it was extinct until it was resurrected after 2,000 years of being dormant. In 2020, scientists successfully pollinated Methuselah with another tree, another ancient tree, and that tree produced 111 dates uh, fruit from that ancient Judean variety. Think about this. A 2,000-year-old seed was able to reproduce again these dates. And as of 2021, just last year, there are multiple thriving palm date trees that are growing there in Israel. And the vision is to eventually cultivate a whole grove of these ancient trees. I was fascinated by that, about how, how an ancient seed, 2,000 years old, still had the potential to produce a harvest. Amen. And today, I am preaching about another 2,000-year-old seed. I am preaching today about another type of ancient seed that if sowed into the kingdom of God can also produce some ancient results for us today that are just as tasty as they were 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about the seed of giving. I'm talking about the seeds that we sow into the kingdom of God, just as Paul when he talks about these Macedonian believers from the region of Macedonia who sowed financially into the work of God and experienced a spiritual harvest of souls and the growth of God's kingdom. These were a special, extraordinary group of believers, these Christians. They are some of the highest, I think, uh, examples that we can see in Scripture of a group of people who dedicated themselves to the work of God and devoted themselves not only to prayer and to fasting, but of giving to the kingdom of God. The Macedonians were a group uh, mentioned in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, this area of Macedonia incorporated such towns such as Philippi or Thessalonica. Uh, these are names that might be familiar to us, New Testament letters. Uh, these were churches that Paul had established on his missionary journeys. It was in this area of Macedonia. Uh, the church also of Berea was another one. They, they were renowned for their devotion to God and for their selfless giving uh, to the work of God. But here in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes very specifically about their generosity who uh, despite the extreme poverty, they gave sacrificially to support the work in Jerusalem. These were not Jews. These were Gentile that were converted to Christianity. So they were not even a part of the commonwealth of Israel. These were Greeks 
uh, uh, non-Jews who, after being converted by the gospel, were so indebted to God and were so committed to the gospel that they uh, sowed into the work that was being done many, many miles away in Jerusalem. And Paul was just he, he was amazed at these people. They, they just blew his mind. The kind of generosity, the extreme level of faith and, and support that these group of people demonstrated. He writes in chapter 8, verse 5, he, he, he writes, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. These were a group of people who were sold out to the mission of the church, sold out to the work of God. And Paul says they went above and beyond our expectations. You know, most people have the tendency to live beyond their means. (laughs) But these people were known to give beyond their means. They gave beyond what was expected of them. They went, because here's the thing about the Macedonians. They didn't give because they were rich. They gave because God is rich. They didn't give because they had a lot. They gave because they believed that God owns everything. They gave because they understood that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody say amen. These were not charitable contributions. These were not charitable giving so that they can get a tax break, so to speak, at the end of the year and meet that quota. No, these were extreme acts of devotion to Christ and his gospel. And they put all of their faith on the line, their resources, and because they understood the law of sowing and reaping. They understood the law of the harvest, and they harnessed the power of sowing. They committed their lives, and they instructed themselves among their churches and their families, and fathers and mothers instructed it in their children. There was this culture of giving, this atmosphere. It was a spirit of giving that just got on them and they they couldn't stop doing it even when the when the bank account didn't make sense and even when it seemed like this is not the time we should be giving this is the time where we ought to be saving up or doing other things with our money just providing the natural things uh, they 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 have this spirit about them that says you know we're we're just going to believe and we're going to give to the kingdom of God and God in turn will take care of us And they understood this principle, praising their efforts. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 6. Let me pluck this verse here. It says, he writes, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It was with the Macedonian church in mind that Paul writes these words. They inspired him uh, under the inspiration of God. He, he was thinking about these uh, humble, beautiful, selfless people that gave of themselves. And he writes uh, uh, this law of the harvest. He said, look, if you want to reap little, then sow little. But if you want to reap great rewards, then you've got to sow greatly into the kingdom. 
kingdom of God. And the Macedonian church, I believe, serves as a great apostolic model for the church today on what it's going to mean and what it's going to cost us to see the kind of revival, the kind of blessings that God wants to bring the church. Can somebody say amen? The Macedonians illustrate three attitudes of sowing that I want to touch on today. Three attitudes that the church needs for apostolic revival. And the first attitude is this, is that we got to sow in love. Someone say love. We've got to sow in love. These were not a people who were under compulsion. These were not a people who a, a, a holy gun was being, you know, uh, uh, held to their, to their head and they were being uh, forced to give. No, these were a humble people that, that teach us that, that, that love, not obligation, love is the most powerful motivator in giving. Love, someone say love. Love is the most powerful motivator, not obligation, amen, not, not simply because of necessity, not under compulsion of any regard, but love, a passion for Christ, a passion for the gospel is what fueled the Macedonian believers to dig deep into their resources, practically really scratching the bottom of their barrels to support the mission of the church. And based on this example, Paul writes these words in verse 7. He says these words with all fear and trembling. He says, so let each one of you give. Let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. Amen. Not grudgingly or of necessity, because God, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you know that to be true today? Amen. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. He said, when you give, don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it with a frown on your face. Amen. Don't do it, you know, uh, sad and, 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 and depressed and, you know, and just, you know, out of, uh, you know, with, with, a, with a wrong spirit. Don't do it simply because the, of necessity. No, do it from the, from the outflow of your heart. Do it because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, notice the love terminology that the apostle uses. He says heart and, and, and love. And, and I think what, what he's wanting to communicate to the church today about giving is that giving is it's not about money. It's not about money. It's about love. Amen. It's not a matter of the wallet. It's a matter of the heart. God's not even looking at the amount that we're giving. He's looking at the heart in which we give. God's not looking because uh, we can point to uh, stories in the gospel of Christ where, where some gave a lot and others gave a, a little. We can look at the woman who gave, uh, unlike the publican who, who gave much. And, you know, he, he, he was waiting for everybody so that when he dumped his offering, boy, they can hear all the chains hitting the, hitting the offering plate, you know. And, and then there was this other woman who all she had was just a mite, just a couple of pennies. And, and she dropped, and Jesus said she gave more than that publican gave, not in dollar amount, because it was all she had, and she did it with love. And that's what God's looking for. That's what he's looking for in the church. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, you cannot separate what you love and where you invest. They are connected. They are connected. They are connected. What you love and where you invest 
where you invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, where you invest are inseparable. They are one and the same. They are one and the same. Where you invest, that's where your heart is at. And Jesus gives us this principle. He reveals us the content of our hearts. You know, the more I think about this and the more I was meditating over this, I thought about how, how giving, giving and money in general, you know, how humans have such a complex relationship with money. You know, on the one hand, we need it. We need it. It's necessary for survival. It's necessary for uh, providing for our needs. You know, we, we need money on the one hand. And, and on the other hand, uh, uh, money could also be a source of greed and, and stress and even ill-advised decisions. And, and so on the one hand, we need it. And, and on the other hand, it, could, it can take us in the wrong direction. But the Macedonian believers, I think, struck the right balance. I think they, they provided to us a worthy template for the believer today and they show us a healthy relationship that we have that we should have with our money and see money not as an end to itself but simply as a tool that is used for for good and a tool that is used to for the purposes of God Amen. To, to, to understand that, 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 we sh- that our money should not have us. Amen. And, and mammon should not be our God. And, and worldly wealth, whatever it looks like, should not be what we serve. But God should be who we serve. And him alone. Jesus said, you cannot have two masters. He tells us, am I in your Bible today? Is this all right? You cannot have two masters. You're either going to serve the one and hate the other. But you can't serve both God and mammon. Speaking about material material things. Uh, he said, you've got to serve one or the other. And it's about, it's about, it's, it's about our hearts uh, and what we serve and what we love. Amen. And there is this balance. There is this balance. Can I tell you today that money is not evil? Amen. Money is not bad. Someone say money ain't bad. If you think money is evil, praise God, just send it on over here. Amen. Amen. I might tell you this, my money is not evil. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Money ain't evil, that ain't bad. Amen. It's a good thing. Money answers a lot of questions in life. Can I tell you, it's not fun being broke. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not fun. Amen. I'm not saying that money is the, is the key to all happiness, but praise God, it helps sometimes. Someone say it helps. <laughs> uh-huh. But watch what the Bible says very clearly. It doesn't say money is evil. But in 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul tells them, he says, for the love of money. The love, there's that word love. There's that, that, we're talking about love here. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He's talking about not just the currency or the dollars or the silver or the gold or the money. He said it's the love. It's where that is in your heart. Is if you have an unhealthy relationship with your money, it could determine the sorrow or the heartache in your life, in your relationship. It's how we view it. It's how we treat it. It's how attached we are to it. It's how associated we are to it. If we love it more than we love God, more than we love the things of God, then it's going to be very difficult for us when the Holy Spirit is tugging on our hearts saying, give, give to the Lord, give to the cause, give to the church, 
church. Give to the purpose of God. It's going to be, you know, pulling teeth because if we if we love it, and, and it could be anything that we love. But, of course, today we're talking about the finances. So even that can be a God in our life. But once again, God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, he responds. You know how God responds to love giving? He responds to that with more love. How many of you want to grow in the love of God today? Amen. That was kind of weak. <laughs> I said, how many of you want to grow in the love of God today? Amen. Or do you think that you've topped out? Do you think God's got more love that, that he, can, he can give to us? Hey, Amen. I think there are, I believe that there are levels in God that we have not yet experienced yet. There's more in that. Uh, and I want to tell you that God, can I, God loves us all equally. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. And so God loves us all the same. I'm not saying that if you give more, you're going to get, that God's going to love you more. No, what happens is that when we give more, we don't get more of his love. We experience more of his love. You see, we're all in the same pool today, but we're not all in the same depth. I'm going to say that again. We could all be in the same body of water. We could all be in the same pool. We're all in the love of God today. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. We're all in the same pool today. But not everyone is swimming at the same depth. And the Holy Ghost is saying to us, uh, one of the ways that we grow in the depth of God's love is through giving because God loves a cheerful. He pours it. He, he opens up more of his love to those that are willing to give in love. Why? Because giving is not just a matter of the heart. It's a matter of faith. Someone say faith. This is the second attitude. We got to sow in love and we have to sow in faith. Why? Because the Bible teaches that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Because we must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder. Amen? He's a re Someone say he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we've got to come in faith. And so there is an element of faith involved in, in our giving. The Macedonians... They were not your average Christian. Say, wait, what are we talking about? I'm not here preaching about your average Christian today. I'm here to preach about the kind of Christianity. I'm talking about the next level that God has called. We got to go from faith to faith. Amen, somebody. We got to graduate in our faith. We're not talking about uh, entry level faith today. Amen. We're talking about leveling up in our faith and trusting God for more. The Macedonians had they had leveled up. They were not your ordinary Christians. Paul said they exceeded our expectation. So there is an expectation, and if you meet that expectation, praise God. But then there is another level that Paul said they exceed. They went beyond. And so that's why I'm going to write about them in the book of 2 Corinthians. Amen. That's why I'm going to tell you about these people because they set the standard. Amen. Paul said they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. He said they didn't even have the money to do it, but somehow they still did it. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. And so there in these, in these texts are are. are are three standards of giving that I want to lay out for you here today. And I put together this little chart to help you see the three standards of giving. So track with me here today. Are you tracking with me so far? Amen. Okay, there are three standards of giving. Now, you're going to notice as we go through these, if, if I could just teach this for a moment, that with each standard of giving, the level of faith has got to go up. 
You're not going to reach uh, the, the, the third standard on, on, a, on, a, on a level one faith. The, the, the faith has to increase with the level of giving. So here we go. The first standard of giving is proportional giving. Proportional giving looks like this. Paul said they gave as they were able. So they gave proportionate to what they have received. Proportional level giving is simply giving what you have. It's simply giving what's been given to you. That is technically and biblically speaking the easiest level one kind of giving that there is. It is the most basic form of giving that the Bible teaches. Tithing. Tithing would be an example of proportionate giving. Jesus or the Bible says to give our tithe, the first fruit. That's simply giving based on what you have received. Not a penny more, not a penny less, uh, simply proportional giving. It's the most basic form. And if we do this, then we do good, praise God. Amen. Can I get an amen right there? I said if we do this, we do good. Proportional level. You give what you have. God said, hey, I'm not, you just give what you have. I just want a fair deal. Since I'm the one that woke you up this morning. Okay. I'm the one that gave you breath. I'm the one that gave you knowledge and skills. I'm the one that gave you the job that you have. I'm the one that got you to your job without getting in a car accident. I'm the one that blessed you. I'm the one that gave. All I ask is from before the first fruit. Just give me back what I gave to you. That's it. All right. So that's that. That's proportion. The second level now, this is where we grow in our faith, amen, is sacrificial giving. Because Paul says about the Macedonians that not only did they give as they were able, simply what they, what they had, but they gave beyond. Someone say beyond. They gave beyond their ability. Now, what type of giving is this? Well, this is not just giving what you don't have or what you have. This is giving what you don't have. Now, I know some of you are scratching your, your spiritual heads right now. We're like, Pastor, how is that possible? How am I supposed to give what I don't have? I'll tell you. Someone say, how? By sacrificing something for it. Mm, hallelujah. The only way to give what you don't have, I'm going to unlock a spiritual secret for somebody. Some, many of you already know this, but I'm going to unlock a secret for somebody. The only way to give what you don't have is by surrendering something else in its place. It's, oh, oh Lord, I'm going to mess with somebody right now. The only, it's by sacrificing something for it, like that vacation. Oh, nobody said amen on that one. Amen. That expensive meal. Huh? That material item, that savings fund, huh? That shoe fund. Oh, I'm going to come right down your aisle today. Amen. That golf fund. Uh, gentlemen, you thought I was going to leave you out, huh? That season tickets fund. You say, well, but, uh, but, but that's my money. I got an earmark for this. Exactly. This wasn't earmarked for giving. But the only way to give what you don't have is to take from somewhere else where you planned on spending on that and say, you know what? This year, instead of buying that, we're going to buy this so that we can use the excess of that to bless the kingdom of God over here. And when you unlock that secret in your life and when you begin to see sacrificial, how do people get? I have seen people with no jobs and no houses and no, give more than some that. And by more, I don't mean dollar amount. I mean sacrificially and sometimes dollar amount. I, 
if I'm just going to be honest with you. I said, how in the world did that little sister over there living on, on government assistance? And that you all know what I'm talking about. How does she, I'll tell you how she, because she made some sacrifices along the way that you weren't willing to make because you wanted your Starbucks and you wanted this and you wanted that. And you want, Man, I'm convicting myself today. I better get out of this point. <laughs> I need to move on. I feel conviction. I'm preaching to myself right now. Hallelujah. Amen. He said, but why is it a sacrifice? Because it hurts. Can I tell you something today? It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt. If it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. I just said it the other way around for you. But if it hurts, then it's a sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt, it's not. If Can I tell you today? It's not a sacrifice if it is comfortably in your budget. It's not a sacrifice. If it's comfortably in your budget, it's not a sacrifice. Now, do we give like this every single week all the time? No. I believe that we should do this as the spirit of God, as God speaks to us, as we are moved in faith. You don't want to do this not in faith. You want to make sure that God is speaking to you. And God is, I'm not telling you, you know, to cheat yourself out the rest of the week. And to, that, That's not what we're preaching. But, but we got to tune in to what God is telling us. And sometimes God is saying, I want you to bless uh, the church or bless that family or, or bless that person. Uh, and, and the only way it's going to happen is if I give sacrificially. Now, if that one bothered you, this next one's really going to irk you. Number three is potential giving. Because they told, they, and this is where, this is where the Macedonian, man, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I, the Macedonians set the bar, let me tell you. Because not only did they give as they were able to, not only beyond their ability, they went one step further and they pleaded with Paul. They pleaded, they begged him, let us continue to give and be a part of the, they considered it a privilege. It is not, uh, it, is, it, it is not, let me tell you a bad thing, it is not punishment, it is a privilege. They said, let us participate in the privilege of sharing. They begged him. And you know what kind of giving? This kind of giving is not just giving what you have. That's easy, or it should be. It's not just giving what you don't have. It's giving what you will have. Woo, this is a whole another dimension of giving that these people were operating in. Why? Because they were giving according to their potential earnings that they hadn't even got yet. Can I give you one example of what this potential giving is? Uh, I, you could also call it promise giving. It's, it, here's, a, here's an example right here. See this mission pledge card? This, this right here, hey, somebody say amen. This is, this is a type of potential giving. Why? Because you are promising to give something, amen, that you don't have yet, so to speak. You're basing it on the fact that you believe that in six months from now, you're still going to have a job. You're still going to be collecting a paycheck or whatever it is you get income. You're still going to be, you, you, you're, you're filling this out believing that when the time comes, uh, God is still going to be providing for you and you're going to be able to make that promise fulfilled. Is that making sense? That's what, that's what a pledge is. This is just one example of that. Amen. But by faith, you're saying, I'm going to do this. There have been times that I've made a promise, God, I'm good, and, I, and I don't even have a I have made faith pledges unemployed. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know what I've got to do to do this. But God, by faith, someone say by faith. 
By faith, God, I am committing. Uh, what, if I got to do a walkathon, I'm going to do it. If I got to wash car, I don't know. But somehow, God, I believe you're going to provide the means for me to fulfill this promise because I, like the Macedonians, uh, I am pleading to belong to what God is doing. I want I want the privilege uh, of being a part of what God is doing. I want the privilege, even if I, come on now, son, even if I can't go to the foreign fields, uh, I want the privilege uh, of being a part of what God is doing. Even if I'm not a missionary, I'm going to send my money to help the missionary. Why? Because I want to be a part of what God is doing. Come on and clap your hands and give him some praise today. Shout hallelujah. So we need to ask ourselves today, what is my standard of giving? I'll be done in just a few moments because your standard of giving will determine your standard of life. Your standard of giving will determine your standard of living. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be earthly rich. That's for God to decide. But you will be blessed. I said you will be blessed. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your bosom. Amen. You will be blessed. But do you know that the blessings of God don't always shower in the form of material things? Sometimes they come in the form of spiritual blessings. Sometimes they come in the form of your whole family serving the Lord together. I'd rather have that than a million dollars. You can have your million dollars if all my children are serving the Lord. I'll die broke if all my kids are going to heaven. Come on. Come on now, somebody. My God, why? I don't care because I got a mansion that's waiting for me over there anyways. I I got a mansion that got so, mm, my God. Now, if God gives you a mansion here and over there, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. But that's not the end of it all. That's not what it's all about because blessings also show up in the form of peace in your marriage, peace in your home. It shows up in peace in your finances. It shows up as souls being added to the kingdom of God. There are many ways in which the blessings of God reciprocate back to the people of God. There are many ways that God does this. And you know, this principle here is very personal to me. Very personal to me because from an early age, my dad taught me the principle of giving. The two things that he taught me when I was young is one, how to pray, and and, and, well, three things, and how to read my Bible, and thirdly, how to give. And one of the things that my dad would always drill into my my system, he would remind me of, especially when I got my first job. Amen. You know what my first job is? I was just having a little conversation about this the other day with my kids as we were were doing a little bit of shopping. Praise be to God. I told you this was hitting home. Amen. And And we walked into Shoe Palace. Have you ever seen Shoe Palace? I worked at one of the very first shoe palaces many years ago. In fact, the owner of shoe palace, that's a multimillionaire now, uh, he was my boss. I worked for him, and I sold shoes, and I was proud of that job, not only because I got discount on Jordans and all that kind of stuff, praise the Lord, but I just it was just nice being that. It was my first job, and when I got that first, I was so happy with my paycheck, man. I'm like, man, and you know what I did? I wanted to blow my first paycheck on my shoes that I was working for. It was this vicious cycle. And my dad stopped me in my tracks. He said, I don't care what you buy with that right now. But you need to know that first of all, the first fruits belong to God. It's the first fruits. I'm the one that worked for this. Talk about I get all the fruit, right? <laughs> and he taught me. He said, son, you need to understand. He said, mijo, you can never outgive God. I didn't understand what that meant in the beginning. But as time went on, I began to realize you cannot. Out. Just when you think you have given, God will always outgive you. Oh, He'll always outlove you. 
He'll always outdo you. And I think God plays this, this, this loving type of, I don't want to call it a game, but it kind of feels like that, where he's just daring us. Why don't you try me now? And this is, so my, my dad would point me to scriptures like, like Proverbs 3 where it says, honor the Lord with your possessions, with all the first fruits of all your increases. So your barns shall be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He said, give the Lord of your first fruits, he said, and, and he's going to fill the vats. A vats a container and that container will overflow and you'll always have exactly what you need. Then he, he would take me to Malachi. Chapter 3 and verse 10 where it says, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Hallelujah. And we're not just talking about uh, physical food, but we're talking about spiritual food. And try me now. Hallelujah. In this, says the Lord of hosts. Try me now. He's saying, test me now. Why well, I dare you to test me now, he's saying, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. How many of you want the windows of heaven to open up above your life and pour out a blessing, for such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive? Ooh, my child, that's the kind of blessing that I want over my household, and I will rebuke the devourer. You know why? Because in every one of our lives, there's a devourer. Come on up. I'm just about, there's a devourer. There's a spirit of a devourer that wants to eat up and destroy and devour every good thing that God has brought into your life. There's the spirit of the devourer that wants to rob you and cheat you out of your divine blessings and your divine goodness. The spirit of the enemy wants to rob you of the goodness of God and rob you of the mercy of God. But if we will give back to God what belongs to him, he said, I'm going to rebuke every devourer that comes against you for your sake and so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine oh, fail to bear fruit in the field, the Lord says of hosts. And I'm here to tell you, I know firsthand, I know firsthand, I stand before you as a living witness that if we will put the kingdom of God first and put the, my Lord, and put the mission of God first, I know firsthand that God will bless you and God will take care of you and everything that you need. Can somebody say amen today? I know firsthand about the tension, the st how, to how it is when you're trying to stretch your dollars to provide for your family and at the same time remain faithful to God's economic system. I know firsthand the pressure of trying to reach for your family goals and the things that you desire to see for your family and financial things and all that. And at the same time, trying to be kingdom first and church first and, and how sometimes those two things collide together, leaving you wondering what you're going to do. But can I tell you today that God is good and his mercy endures forever. Can I tell you today that if you will seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, that all of these things will be added unto you. Can I tell you today that if you will apply the Macedonian principle to your life, you will see that he is able to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Can I tell you that if you will do this last sowing, the last attitude is a sowing worship. Oh, let me put a bow on this for you today, that all of our giving of, of, of our money and our, of our treasure and even of our time.
time, even of our strength, that all that we give to God is an act of worship. Somebody say worship. Paul, when he commended the Macedonians, he said they gave of themselves first of all to the Lord. He said this was all an outwork of their worship. This was all a part of their worship. Can I tell somebody today that when you give to God in faith, it is simply another form of worship. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because worship is anything that you surrender to God in faith. When you let go of that dollar, when you let go of that that resource, when you let go and give it to God, it is worship because you are saying, I am trusting in this moment more in the God who created all of the silver and all of the gold, who created the diamonds that are in the rough, who created the cattle on a thousand hills. Come on now, somebody, who the streets of heaven are paved with gold. My God is able, and I am believing, and I am trusting, and I know that this is where God has planted me, and this is where God has called me. And so if I sow in this ground, I'm sowing in good ground, and I shall be like a tree. Come on now. Planted by the rivers of water, I shall be like a tree planted there. Hallelujah. Better bring forth this fruit in its season. Better do it. Better prosper. And whatsoever you do, I feel the preaching right now. Whatsoever you do shall prosper. Oh, God, somebody needs to know. You need to read Psalms 1 all over again. You need to read it all over again because God's going to prosper you. God's going to bless you. But you got to worship. I wonder if there's somebody right now that can stand up on your feet. If there's somebody right now that can raise up your voice. If there's somebody right now that can offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Offer the fruit of your lips and give God glory in this house. Give him praise in this house. I've come to encourage you. I've come to dispel every lie and every, mm, my God, every mixed message that the devil has been telling you. He's trying to rob you of your inheritance and rob you of your legacy and rob you of the goodness of God and rob you of the treasures that are in Christ. But the devil is a liar. I pray that a spirit of generosity, I pray that a spirit of giving, I pray that a kingdom first mentality would get into our hearts today and say, my God is going to provide everything that I need. Oh, I may not get everything that I want. I may not get everything I desire, but he will provide for my needs. I'll have a roof over my head. Come on, somebody. I'll have a roof over my head. I'll have food on the table. I'll have clothes on my back. And if you've got that, my friend, you've got all that you need because God is good. Come on, somebody magnify the name of the Lord today. I said he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. I wonder if there's somebody right now that's believing God for a financial breakthrough. If that's you, you can come to this altar. I'm not saying to 
that you're broke. You can have a lot of money in the account and still be believing for God for a financial breakthrough because you might be going to another level. There might be another business, another career, another venture that God wants to do through you. Oh, my God. But God said, I want you to come and just say to me, make a promise to me. Just make me a promise. Say, God, if you continue to bless me, Lord, I continue to give. Come on. Is there anybody today that says, God, I'm willing to give, God. I'm willing, Lord. I'm going to serve you not only with my heart. I'm going to serve you with everything, God. I'm going to serve you with my finances. I'm going to serve you with my... Hallelujah, Jesus. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because there are many today that take the blessings of God for granted. Oh, God said, listen, I want to give you generational blessings. I want to give you so that your children are blessed and that your children's children are blessed. But if you don't start applying these principles that I'm preaching about, you're going to curse the next generation. They're not going to be as blessed as you want them to be. But mother and father, moms and dads, husbands and wives, you need to take your family by the hand. You need to take your wife and your husband by the hand and say, we're going to trust in God. We're going to call the devil a liar. Let me tell you something. I'm not looking at the job market. I'm not, I don't serve the housing market. I don't serve the economy. I don't serve the U.S. government. I serve Jesus. And if this is where God has me, then God's going to bless me. Is there a witness in the house of God?